Amen. Well, before we uh, dive into the Word, I want to just kind of give you a feel for a couple things that are happening at Advent. As you know, traditionally, Baptists have taken the month of December to celebrate something or to give to a special mission offering called Lottie Moon. And this year, we're going to continue to do that. We've got, and that's what the Lostness Together, in fact, next week, uh, or impacting Lostness Together, in fact, next week, we're going to have some new missionaries with the International Mission Board who are going to be sent out in 2024 to the nation of Brazil. Um, so each week, we'll, we'll have a little video, hopefully a, uh, some greetings from the missionaries that we support. So this month, if you would like to give toward missions, uh, what we would like to do is just one of two ways to do that. One is to give toward the International Mission Board, toward Lottie Moon, or to give to the West End Ministry Center of Grace Harbor Church. And if you noticed in the midweek email, uh, there were two links that you could click on that would take you one to each place, or if you like writing paper checks or giving cash, you can just note it on an envelope. Hey, I want this to go to this ministry. I want this to go to, uh, you know, either Lottie Moon or Grace Harbor. And all of those funds will go directly to, to those ministries. Um, so each, each week we'll hear a little bit more about some of the things that are happening around the world. And I'm excited that we have an opportunity to support them. Of course, this, uh, over the last couple of years, we've been uh, learning some about Grace Harbor Church. Uh, Morgan came and preached here a little over a year ago. And also we sent uh, some of our guys, a couple of our elders, and uh, Brian Pepper went up to um, Grace Harbor for a, a little conference they had just to kind of learn about the work that they're doing. And it is definitely a worthy work in an, in an underserved area of our nation. Uh, so as, you, as this month allows, uh, let me encourage you to be praying for, praying about how you, God might lead you to support these, these efforts if, if you would. He is leading you in that way. The other thing, the second thing I want to do before we dive into the word is to mention a couple of, of Advent resources. Of course, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, each week we're going to, the messages and all that will be tied around the theme of the candle. One of the things that we're going to do, I've noticed of late, that God has been allowing people who speak different languages to come be a part of our church. And so, obviously, Tom and Robin, while they are Americans, spent a good bit of time in Germany. Um, so in subsequent weeks, what will happen is you'll hear the word of the Lord in a certain language, and you'll see it in English. Okay? That's why, if you notice it, scrolled through after. That's what was supposed to happen, but it was on me. I didn't communicate that very well. Um, so anyways, we'll hear it. So we're going to get to hear Korean. We're going to get to hear a few other languages um, over the next several weeks. And I think that'll be really neat. But also I want to encourage you at home, if you're doing your own sort of Advent thing, I want to let you know about two resources that are available. And I mentioned them in the midweek. One is for families with young kids. And I think Pastor Aramal printed out a bunch of these and has them available uh, outside of Kids Connection. This is a, a four-week Advent guide that you can do with your kids. Um, there's little crafts, little activities that you can do with them, kind of a fun thing. Uh, for those of you who don't have kids, this is something that our family's doing. Zoe loves this book, not so much because of what it says, but because of how it looks. I mean, doesn't it just look amazing? It, it, it pulls out like that. But this is uh, something called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, it's by a guy named Jonathan Gibson. And what he has done is he's gone through various historical meditations. He's gone through the Word of God, tried to pull in very formal calls to worship, ancient prayers, different readings, different creeds to be able to look at, songs to sing or at least read the words. There's a few of these out in the foyer in the book nook if you'd like to get one. 
But uh, this is, like I said, something our family's uh, doing bits and pieces of. It, it does take a little while, and it's a bit heavy. But if you're wanting a theologically rich Advent celebration, let me encourage you to check that out. Uh, but with that, let me pray for us as we uh, open the word of the Lord together and, and dive in. Father, we do thank you for this season, this opportunity to, to worship you, to honor you, to adore you, to consider your word, and to reflect on your first coming. So, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts by the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit. And, God, I pray that the meditation, uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight as we seek to consider your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there is a phrase, hope springs eternal. And this is a a sentiment that has been passed through people's minds for nearly 200 years, really for over 200 years. It was first introduced in the 18th century by a guy named Alexander Pope in his uh, poem entitled An Essay on Man. And uh, it got used at different times. I think the, the poem Casey at Bat also pulled this phrase into it. But the poem recognizes that the scientific advancement and education brought on by the Enlightenment um, was making great strides, and yet the poem seemed to be a a commentary on that, encouraging people to, to take a little bit of humility, to step back and not forget God in the midst of that. The stanza that contains this phrase says, Hope humbly then, with trembling pinions soar, wait the great teacher, death. And God adore. What future bliss he gives not thee to know, but gives that hope to be thy blessing now. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man, is, man never is, but always to be blessed. The soul uneasy and confined at home rests and expatiates in a life to come. There is something ingrained in us that longs for hope, we hope for relief. We hope for something more. We hope for peace. We hope for future blessings, something that's just out there. Hope is what has motivated inventors to, in a desire to find a new way of doing something. Hope has fueled activists seeking to advocate for change in society. And yet hope, when you think about it, hope is a dependent commodity. Hope doesn't have the fuel to do what it needs to do. Hope is more like a directional sign leading to a destination, but it it lacks the ability to get us there. Hope needs an object upon upon which to rest. And so today, as we celebrate the first Sunday of Advent, we reflect on hope. And in order to do so, we're going to consider part of the passage that Tom read in German. Let me read it for us again in English so that we can hear it. This is a a little bit of a different translation. Normally I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but I think the New English Translation has some very interesting things. So if you have your Bibles and want to open, whether it's NIV, ESV, RSV, NLT, KJV, feel free to open those. But let me read this for us in the NET and uh, we'll, we'll consider this together. Lamentations 3, 19 to 24 says, Remember my impoverished and homeless condition, which is a bitter poison. I continually think about this and am depressed. 
But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loyal kindness never ceases. His compassions never end. They are fresh every morning. Your faithfulness is abundant. My portion is the Lord, I have said to myself, so I will put my hope in him. Of course, that passage is found in the middle of a book called Lamentations. And let me give us a little background on Lamentations because I think it helps us understand not only what Jeremiah was writing about, but helps us understand how we can have hope in the midst of very dark times in our, in our own lives, whether or not we're feeling that way. Well, this book, it's, it's a short book. It's only about five chapters long, was written within a decade of the exile of the people of Judah. If you remember, Judah and Israel were together. They were separated. Israel got exiled first around uh, 722 BC. About 140 years later, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, they were sent into exile in 586. And so most likely this was written just a few years after that exile. And this, this, these five chapters are written in what we call a chiastic structure. So the first chapter and the last chapter kind of correspond to each other. The second chapter and the fourth chapter correspond. And what that does is it points us to the middle, to the chapter we're thinking about, and helps us understand, so what? What should we do with all this in order to focus on that thing? But there's some very interesting things that Jeremiah does in this passage, in this, chap, in this book. One is, if you'll notice, if you were to flip through, you'd notice that chapter 1, 2, 4, and 5, they're all 22 verses long. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 are set up as an acrostic. So each verse begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, some translations of the Bible actually put those Hebrew letters in there to help us understand what the Hebrew readers would read. Chapter 3 is also an acrostic, but unlike the other chapters where the others have 22 verses, chapter 3 has 66 verses, which means that what, the, what Jeremiah has done is taken three verse sets and said, okay, I want to take the first letter of the alphabet. I'm going to start with our letter A, his letter Aleph, and he's going to write a, a three verse verse on that, let, starting with that letter, and then the next letter, and the next letter, and the next letter. I just, I find it very interesting the way that he does that. But the content of Lamentations consists really of Jeremiah's heartfelt lament over the condition of his people, over the situation going on there in Israel, in Judah. And as you may remember, we defined lament a while ago as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. And so we see this entire book as being that kind of thing. It's very real and raw. It's very pain-filled, and yet it's not without hope. And so here in the central chapter of Lamentations, Jeremiah acknowledges the difficulty and the justice of the situation, but he also expresses hope. But Jeremiah is not alone in this. Throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of hope. We find prophets both proclaiming the coming discipline of the Lord, the coming hand of judgment of God, but we also see the prophets proclaiming, providing a sense of hope in the salvation that would come. In fact, if, if we were to do a word study, we'd find that the Hebrew word that we translate as hope in this passage is often translated as wait. And so this idea of hoping and waiting kind of go hand in hand in the Hebrew writers. We have this hope that's out there, but we also have to wait for that hope to be realized. 
So as we think through this concept of hope today, I want us to ask and answer two questions. One is, in what do we hope? And the second one is, why should we hope in God? So if you want to take notes, this is where the blanks really begin. Let's start by asking that first question, in in what do we hope? You see, as humans, people who live in the United States, we tend to place our hope in a variety of materialistic things. In some ways, we need hope. Samuel Johnson said, where there is no hope, there can be no endeavor. We need something to motivate us. We need a carrot out there to encourage us to go. As one of the most prosperous nations on earth, we often turn first to money. We place our hope in the almighty dollar, as people say. We place our confidence in savings or investments or or that waiting element, hoping to have enough to purchase or that, or hoping to have enough to retire on. Or maybe it's a little closer together. We're just waiting for that payday because the bank account has gotten to its bare minimum and, and now there's no money left until the next payday happens. So we hope for those next couple of days. We hope in a financial windfall of the next big deal. We work a, a, maybe we work a side hustle to get ahead in hopes that We'll get some relief from the financial stress that is there. And yet the challenge is, if you notice, inflation has a way of eating away our ability to save, our ability to earn and spend. Surprise expenses whittle away savings. Hope is always financially a little bit just too far away, and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. Maybe we're putting our hope in position or opportunity. Maybe it's that next rung on the, on the career ladder. Oh, I will, I will arrive if I can just get to that point. Become that supervisor. Become that, get that role or get that job. Or maybe we have that grass is always greener on the other side. I might want the same role in a different place. All the, all the while recognizing that whatever problems I bring into my position now, I bring into my position there. And maybe that might be a new environment, but they're going to have different problems. And so it's not going to be without its own set of pains. Maybe we're longing for power or influence, power over a situation or power over people, or maybe it's, it's influence in such a way. And students, you might understand this when you, when you go to school and you find the, that one person, you know, that mean girl, that mean guy, that bully, and you think, if I just get a little bit close to them, Maybe I won't be the brunt of their bullying tactics. All the while to recognize that whoever that bully is, whether at school or whether at work, when, when bullies change, when administrations change, when school years change, sometimes the situation. So we're, we long for that power. We long for the hope of that peace and security of being next to that one mean person that we hope won't be mean to us. And yet we realize situations change quickly. Or then there's politics, right? We put our hope in politics. Oh, I can't wait for that next election. Yes, maybe our party will win and maybe we think we have all the right answers. Maybe it won't. Sometimes we put our our hope in safety and security. We're trying to avoid pain and injury. We're longing for just that buffer from discomfort. But as C.S. Lewis has famously said, 
God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. Sometimes we need the pain to learn what God wants us to learn. We could keep going. We could talk about education, putting our hope in that next degree, the promise of that next bigger thing if we just add those extra initials after our name. I had a friend uh, who, who studied law, went on to this uh, prestigious law school on the promise that it had a 100% placement rate. So she went to the school, shelled out bunches of money, got into huge debt, only to find out upon graduation that the law field had dried up. She had no job. It took years for her to get into a legal position, and it wasn't with the help of her alma mater. Sometimes we put hope in religion. For, for some folks in our society, we hope in this, this sort of feel-good moment, this sort of, oh, let's just do something a little bit more. Let's just be a little kinder. We assume that all roads lead to God, and so all religions are about the same, and so we're, as long as we do this, we'll be just fine. And there are so many more things that we, on which we can hope, and ultimately, I think all of those will let us down. Jeremiah, through his lament, seems to be urging us to place our hope in God, to look to him, which then begs the next question, why should we hope in God? Will placing our hope in God actually make a difference, or will it be more like wishful thinking and spiritual catharsis? And Jeremiah, I think, gives us a couple of things to remember. First of all, he says that hope in God relieves our minds from the mess. It relieves our minds from the mess. In the midst of his pain, he offers up this prayer and a reminder. Look in your Bibles or up on the screen at, at verses 19 to 21. He says, remember. So he's crying out to God and he says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He cries out to God to remember his pain, and I think by extension, the pain of his people. He un, he's saying, God, don't forget us. But he acknowledges the inner turmoil of the present circumstances. As the New English translation said when we read it a little earlier, it says he continually thinks about it. He's constantly considering the pain and the darkness of their difficult situation. And here he is, only in the beginning of a 70-year exile, an exile that he won't live through. How's that for hopelessness? He's about, he's leading people saying, you guys are gone. You're out of the city. The city is destroyed. And here I'm going to give up my life at some point in the next couple of years. And I will not see the realization of my people back in Judah. It's almost as though he's facing this sort of depression. He's constantly going over it in his mind. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you ever been in that kind of place? Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually? A place where things feel like they're so bad that it's all you can think about? And I, I get there. There are so many times when I rehash bad decisions or rehash mistakes that I've made and wish I would have done things differently and feel like I can never move beyond that. 
And it's easy to get lost in those thoughts of failure or discouragement and be mired with despair. And as with Jeremiah, these thoughts can continually be before us and can cause us to be depressed. But Jeremiah has this one crucial little word, B-U-T, but. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see, God may not always relieve the pressures that we're in. He may not always change the circumstances of our minds. He may not always fix things. In fact, he's not going to fix things right away. For, as I said, for, Ju- for Judah and for, for the people of Israel, it was another 70 years before they would find relief. It was a couple hundred years before Jesus Christ would enter into the scene. And even more time after that, before people really understood the role that Jesus played. That's a long time time to hope. But I think what happens when we, put our, when we put our hope in God, he gets our minds off the mess, and we can truly live out that phrase, that passage in, in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6, where it says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We can learn to be content even in the mess, knowing that God is with us and is doing something in us. Hoping in God gets our minds off the mess and onto the maker. Hoping in God provides perspective in the midst of the problems that he's allowing us to encounter. For Jeremiah and for us, hoping in God is not a religious activity or simply mental assent. And what we find is that, is secondly, that hope in God is rooted in his endless acts of love and compassion. Hope in God is essentially rooted in his character and his conduct. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One of the things that that we find that I, I... as I was studying this week, I found very interesting. I don't know Hebrew, so I have to borrow all these tools and look at all this stuff. But one of the things that's kind of interesting is Jeremiah uses the plural form of love and the plural form of mercy or compassion. So in English, we get mercies pretty easily rendered. But love is something different. We don't often think of love as being a plural thing. It would be as though he's, he's saying the steadfast loves of the Lord. He sees the various actions of God as the expression of his love. But, but think about this. What actions has Jeremiah seen in his life? In many ways, all he saw was the discipline of the Lord for his people, which means that even discipline is a sign of God's love. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. But I do think there are so many ways that we can look at the hesed or the steadfast love and mercies of Yahweh. But let's think about those words for just a moment. That first word, hesed, or steadfast love, is also translated loving kindness. One of the translators years ago made up a word to try to encapsulate all that hesed means, loving kindness. 
It's essentially God's covenantal love for his people and his creation. It's the word that he used to describe his own actions toward his people when, when Moses asked him, who, who are you? Who shall I say you are? And God replied, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. This is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed or steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping hesed or steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And even though God will bring discipline to his people, he will never leave them. He will not abandon them. He will not stop showing them faithful love. And for those of you who are parents, you kind of understand that. You know that when your child steps out of line, when your child does that thing you've told them not to do, there is that, sure, there's that righteous anger that we sometimes feel, right? There's that, that time where we want to step in and say, hey, you should not have done that. Go to your room. Or we get the, the rod of discipline. I know it's not cool to, to use corporal punishment anymore, but I used to get that. And my mom broke a wooden spoon on my butt because I got out of line. But she wasn't doing it in anger. She was doing it in love. Now, I know that there are some people who don't always have that same motivation of love in their discipline. But a parent is intended to. And, and that's, I think, where we see this most closely. God's discipline for us is a sign of his love. If he just let us do whatever we want, would that be his love for us? If he let us walk into trouble without consequences, would that be his love for us? You see, Jeremiah lived in such a dark time that the discipline of the Lord is what he saw clearly. But that, as I said before, is not the only way that God works in our lives. In fact, in the subsequent verses, Jeremiah sees something different. He, he, in uh, Lamentations 3.25, he says, The Lord is good to those who wait for them, to the soul who seeks him. He sees God, God's goodness as people wait and hope in him. Lamentations 3.31-33 says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. God is faithful. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart, nor grieve the children of man. And verses 37 and 38 of chapter 3. Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad Come. In, in other words, he's, he's, uh, he's seeing the sovereignty of God as, his, as, as a sign of God's love for his people. Everything that happens in our lives is there because God has ordained it. And yet, God is still a God of love. A few verses later, Jeremiah comes to the conclusion where he essentially says, encourages us and I think that his people test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. The Apostle Paul echoes the sentiment in Romans 2.4 when he says, or, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it was the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? 
So these endless acts of love from God are complemented by his never-ending acts of compassion, which is translated from the term rohamim. So we have hesed, which is his steadfast love, and rohamim, which is his compassions or his mercies. This is the outward expression of his love. This word in many ways pictures the way a, a pregnant woman would care for the child that is in her womb. The child in utero doesn't have a sense of time and has no idea how long it will be until the day of birth, but instead simply grows in this nurturing environment, enveloped in the compassionate care of of the mother. And in much the same way, God's never-ending mercies will care for us and will nurture us until the full fruition of his will is accomplished not only in salvation through Jesus, but in the hope of the resurrection that is to come, in the hope of the eternal life that we'll have with him. So our hope in God is not based on whims or wishful thinking, but on his character and on his expression of love, which, which brings us to a second point, that our hope in God is realized in Jesus. Our hope in God is realized in Jesus. I don't think Jeremiah here is speaking of specifically of Jesus, he's, but he's reflecting on his relationship with God. And for us, we, are, we relate to God through Jesus Christ. So look at what he says in verse 24. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Jeremiah saw Yahweh as his, as his portion or his inheritance. And from the earliest pages of the Old Testament, there has been a promise of someone coming in the future. In Genesis 3.15, we saw this as the seed of the woman. In in, uh, Deuteronomy 18.15, we saw this as the prophet that Moses said, there will come someone like me, a prophet from the Lord that you need to listen to. It's... We have the promised eternal heir of the throne of David in 2 Samuel 7.13. We have the promise of the suffering servant who would redeem his people from their sins in Isaiah 52 and 53. And I'm not sure that Jeremiah realized all of that when he was writing his lament, but but as he turned to be able to trust in God, he recognized that it wasn't in the hand of God or in the handouts of God that he could find his hope, but it was that in God was his very source of hope. And I think when we look at our circumstances, and we might see, yeah, there's generally a lack of conflict. Generally, there's plenty of food on the table. Generally, there's plenty of money in the bank. And we think, oh, God must be blessing me. We have to recognize that that is not the case. That stuff may happen because God is blessing, and it may happen just because he's allowing it. He's ordaining it. When we look to the circumstances to see God's blessing, then we fail to see that it is in God and God alone that we find our portion. And ultimately, the full realization of of that portion is Jesus Christ, the heir of David's throne, the Son of God, and our Redeemer. As Charles Spurgeon said, he said, "Do do not look to your hope, but to Christ, who is the source of your hope. Remember, we talked before that hope needs an object upon which to rest, a sign. And so if we put our hope in Christ, he is the one, he is the means of us having that relationship with God. 
And so let me just close with a couple of things. We've talked a lot about hope, and obviously this is Advent, and we haven't really mentioned much about Christmas. At Christmas, we look back in faith to his first coming, to Jesus' first coming, rejoicing in all that he did. He embodied the perfection that we could never attain to. He became the fulfillment of all that the law of God requires and allows us to be reconciled to God. Advent provides an opportunity for us to also look forward to his second coming and the consummation of all that he has promised. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises and the deposit for God's eternal promises. So in essence, hope for Christmas springs eternal because the, the eternal and holy God looked in love on us, on you and me, in the mess of our sin and sent his son to redeem us from that sin and bring us into a relationship with him for eternity. Have you found your hope in that God? Have you received Jesus as your inheritance? Has the kindness of God led you to repentance? Come to Jesus today. Let me pray for us and then we'll move on to the Lord's Supper. God, we do thank you for the hope that we have in you through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your covenantal, your steadfast love that is unending. We thank you for the the nurturing way that you show compassion and mercy to us, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to walk with hope in all that you are calling us to. Our only hope in life and death is you. Help us to walk faithfully in that. In Jesus' name.